Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of moving pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. <laughs> Hi there, witches and weirdos, and welcome to the Real Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and this week we're heading into the Shadowful to discuss the magic of Netflix's new hit series, Shadow and Bone. I love this series. It's the perfect mix of magic and some of my favorite fantasy tropes and a story that has some really interesting things to say about magic and marginalization and how those things intersect. To discuss a series that has social justice on its mind, I called in Ashley Nicole Hunter, aka The Social Justice Witch who is a witch writer and one of the editors at the online pagan magazine Evoke. It was a super fun conversation and I really hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, let's head over to Ravka for our discussion of A Shadow and Bone. Can you summon light? She's real. Enemies are threatened by your mere existence. The whole world will be after you. The prize is one million Kruger. Bring me Alina Starkov. Am I a prisoner? All of Ravka is. Until you and I enter the fold. And destroy it from within. So no pressure. Well, welcome, Ashley Nicole Hunter, to the Real Magic Podcast. Thank you for being with us to talk about Shadow and Bone. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk about the show, but first I want to talk a little bit about you. First off, something I'd like to ask my guests when they first come on is, what was your media gateway drug to magic? Like, what was your favorite magical show or movie growing up that sort of made you a witch? So it was probably Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. I had such a thing for Willow mm-hmm. and thought that she was just the coolest. And I think that I kind of grew up around her and started researching Wicca and magic um, about the same time I was learning about it from the show because living in Arkansas, don't find those kinds of things easily. But yeah, the thing with like, I remember... I had been already into Wicca when Willow started kind of coming into her witchiness. And I remember they called her a Wicca, which was just like, bugged yes. the heck out of me. Like, oh, she's like the most powerful Wicca. I'm like, that is not how <laughs> I know it's kind of a made up word. But even so, like, that's not how it works. But yeah, I never called myself a Wicca, even though it would have been fun. I was too scared to call myself in anything. I just said, oh, I'm just researching it, Dad. And he's like, oh, okay, well, here are some books I found at the garage sale. Oh, Have nice. at it. 
Yeah, I always had an interesting relationship with Willow because I sort of am Willow because I've got red hair and I'm gay and I'm a witch and I'm sort of a nerd, but I'm not quite as power hungry, though I am a Capricorn, so maybe. So you um, run Evoke Magazine online with some other awesome witches. And how does, yeah, how does running an online pagan magazine work? How much fun is that? It is a hoot. We try to put out content every month. Um, it started as just a kind of writing exercise that I did on Medium because I was trying to get into the habit of writing every day and researching more and embracing my self-imposed title of armchair pagan who wanted nice. to research all the things. Oh, I love all the things. Yeah. And so you guys have like all sorts of content. You have like poetry and essays and fiction. We pretty much... Uh, have expanded evoke to anything that is witch or magic friendly it doesn't have to be all real some of it can be um fiction some of it can be poetry um because i think that those things can inspire magic too it doesn't all have to be dry historical research it can be i saw this show and this show inspired me and now i'm going to try this magical practice because we've lost so much so i think we're all just kind of making it up as we go along we we really are like where, where is the line between I saw it on a TV show and unverified personal gnosis? Like it all sort of comes together, whatever works for you. And that's why I have the podcast is to talk about the way that media inspires our magic. And so that's it's true. Transition. Some things just have a bigger personal budget than others do. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it was just Beltane. And I was thinking so much about how many of our modern pagan ideas about Beltane a lot of it comes from Marion Zimmer Bradley in the Mists of Avalon like mm-hmm. not a lot not a lot of it is based in you know Irish folk practices there's a lot of problems with Marion Zimmer Bradley now that we know but yes but yeah just the way that media influences reality and reality influences media it's a big Ouroboros it's a that that's a word I can't pronounce usually <laughs> <laughs> I think I got it right Ouroboros I think you did Close enough, yeah. Yeah, it's a snake that eats itself. My husband's the classicist. He would know. I have no idea. I just kind of gerbil something out and go, well, it's going to be better when I write it. Yeah. Yeah, there's all those words that we've read that we can, like, the first time I tried to say ochre out loud, I said orch, so. Oh, yeah. The first time I tried to call myself pagan, I called myself a pagan. And I had a very nice ninth grade uh, (laughs) English professor who helped me with that. Nice. So, but today we are talking about a very new show that may influence magical practices or may not, or just may influence a lot of crushes, but it is Netflix's Shadow and Bone. Swoon. Oh, Swoon. So for those of you that are, have not watched it, um, we are going to be talking in general about the full series. So spoiler alert, but Shadow and Bone takes place in a fantasy world called, a country called Ravka that has been divided in half by this living cloud of darkness called the shadow fold. Like it's sort of like an ocean of pure darkness full of monsters that want to eat people. And it divides the country in half. And so all their trade and everything is on the Western side and all the uh, military and capital is on the Eastern side. So they have to kind of go through this giant death cloud but luckily, they have people in this world called Grishas who are their magic users, but they don't think of it as magic. They think of it as science. And they have all sorts of different 
kind of Grishas. And there's this one guy who we'll talk about a lot called the Darkling who can control darkness and can control the stuff that the shadow fold is made of. But on his kind of opposite is the, our main character, Alina, who is a sun summoner and she's the only one of her kind and she can summon light. And so she can maybe destroy the shadow fold full of monsters that want to eat everyone. Um, there's other characters that are some thieves and criminals that are trying to kidnap her. There's a really cute goat um, who is now one of my favorite Twitter accounts, Mila the Goat. And it's just a really fun, cool fantasy series. So that's like my quick and dirty summary of Shadow and Bone. It's obviously much more complex, but what made you interested in watching the show other than, let's talk, you know, let's be honest, Ben Barnes, who plays the Darkling. <laughs> uh, Matthias isn't, isn't too bad to look at either. Oh, yeah. I mean, every, this, I mean, I, I'm, you know, pretty gay, but for Ben Barnes, like there'd be some exceptions made. Um, I loved him in this and everyone everyone is beautiful and the, the good casting are all around for very very good casting are very good actors <laughs> um i think what i liked about it the most was okay so disclaimer to start off i'm not typically into post-apocalyptic stuff and i almost mistook this as post-apocalyptic when i first watched it because i'm like there's so many things that seem like our world in this yeah it's sort of kind of like a late 19th century sort of like it's ravka is based on imperial russia Right. So it's it's much closer to our kind of time than like Game of Thrones or The Witcher or something. Right. And I think that threw me at first because I'm so used to seeing uh, witch friendly or magic friendly stuff set in a medieval Europe setting. So when I saw this, I was a bit thrown because I knew nothing about the series. And I thought, oh, this is post-apocalyptic. It's going to be some weird magic is science and people are mutants thing. And I was like, uh, but... I was interested because in this, you were almost seeing the development of modern technology and how it was displacing magic and magic users. Yeah. You had uh, people in the military talking about how it used to be that magic people were worth 30 or 40 of us. And now as the years go by and our guns get better, suddenly 10 of them dying is considered an acceptable loss. Soon mm. enough, they'll be just as unimportant as the rest of us. Yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes because in this series, um, for people who for some reason are listening who haven't seen, hi mom, um, like there are two armies. There is the first army, which is the regular people, and there's the second army, which is an army led made of Grisha, who are the magic users, and they are led by the General Kirigan, aka the Darkling, Ben Barnes. Um, and so, yeah, it is very interesting how it goes hand in hand with technology because they have guns and they have like magical bulletproof coats that are fabulous, but a spell is not as fast as firing a bullet in this world, which yeah. is fascinating to me. Yeah. And uh, there's one character who his whole skill is that he's a sharpshooter and he's, you know, a very good sharpshooter. Now um, we'll get into that character too, a bit later and whether or not he's magical, but uh, yeah. So Let's talk about Ben Barnes because we've just been alluding to him. So yeah, Swoon, um, Ben Barnes, AKA Prince Caspian, AKA um, Logan from Westworld, one of my favorite shows. I love Westworld. <laughs> um, for, I don't think I could find a way to talk about Westworld on this podcast. It's not very, <laughs> not very pagan, but it's a really good show. So I love it. But um, Ben Barnes is really, really hot in this. He is like, 
Um, I watched this uh, before it came out and I just was waiting for everyone to meet this character because he's like in that same Loki, even even though I don't like Kylo Ren, he's like in the same vein. Like I'm a Phantom of the Opera fan. Mm-hmm. Like he is like the bad boy in a cape who you just want like, my love will redeem him. It's like, no, it won't. <laughs> he's garbage, but he's just like very sexy. <laughs> and it's, I think for the longest time, he is so relatable because put in the same situation if it was uh, we like to talk about never again the burning times but it put into the same situation how far would you go to protect people like you yeah and at what point do you start becoming as much a threat to your own people as Mm -hmm. the enemy is yeah because we get his backstory and again spoilers um this is like the big reveal in episode five and six is that he is not a descendant of the original Grisha who created the Shadowfold. He just is that guy and he is immortal. So kind of a bad guy, but he sort of reminds me of Magneto in the X-Men where he did everything he does to defend Grisha because they are really, you know, up until they become part of the second army, they're hunted, they're marginalized. He is doing what is necessary to protect his people who were being hunted and killed and marginalized and so he's put them in a much better maybe uh situation because he's created this threat that they need them for and so he, he reminds me like, of another of my favorite fandoms uh dragon age he reminds me of solus very ageless eternal beings who are constantly fighting a war whether or not everyone else around them is still fighting the same war and I don't know that even if he resolved that war, he would ever be done with it. No, he's got some issues for sure. He has like, I would categorize him with having PTSD and I don't think the war will ever be done for him. Yeah. And can you imagine like, that's something that's always interesting to think about in a fantasy series is like, what level of PTSD do you end up with when you are 400 years old? Like if you've literally seen everyone you love die, except his mom, who's also... Um, a shadow summoner who's just doesn't seem like a great mom let's be honest she's not very supportive she's everyone in these movies and shows have mommy and daddy issues but she's not great seems like her son became the kind of person she was urging him to be all along but mm-hmm. more flamboyant about it yeah but with a, with a fabulous cape fabulous, <laughs> fabulous cape. cape which redeems yeah. so many bad features yeah i mean the cape is just really the cape is magic i think <laughs> Men, what is stopping you from dressing like this? Get yourself a cape. Well, apparently, according to Ben Barnes, that cape weighed about like 20 pounds. So it wasn't very like fun to be in it 12 hours a day in filming. But, you know, he he did an admirable job there. Probably why it hasn't caught on here in Arkansas so much. But also it's like supposedly, you know, it's cold. It's Russian there. So. But yeah, that's, you know. I'm sure Tumblr, I haven't been on Tumblr since this came out, but it's just like this character was created for Tumblr. Um, I Because I, I remember, so. you know, Ben Barnes was already one of Tumblr's boyfriends. You know, he was always fan cast as Sirius Black and like an imaginary Marauder series. But he's, you know, not actually our main character. Our main character is Alina, who is the Sun Summoner. And I think she's really interesting. One of the mm-hmm. things they did in the show versus the book, because this is this show is based on not just one trilogy of books, but a trilogy, the Shadow and Bone trilogy by Lee Barduno. I can't pronounce her name. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And, um, but there's also a duology called, made of books called like the Six of Crows. And mm-hmm. so those are our 
criminal characters. And they've smooshed these two trilogies together. <laughs> we all love a good heist. And sometimes yeah. a heist is what's needed to bring yeah. up the pace some. And um, in some ways, it kind of makes it seem a bit like the two plots seem rather disconnected at times because they literally weren't written to be connected in the novels. But they connect them very well, I think, in the end. Right. And when all the characters finally do come together, you're very excited. It's like, oh, we've been waiting eight episodes. <laughs> I feel like I've been missing this kind of storytelling since Game of Thrones. If you Mm -hmm. didn't like one character, don't worry. We've got 32 others that might tickle your fancy. It is very much like Game of Thrones because, you know, Daenerys didn't show up in Westeros until season six. Mm -hmm. So you've got the, and so it's much faster paced than that. Alina's a good walker. She's, she gets around much quicker. Yeah. So Alina in the books is just pretty much, I believe, Caucasian or white she in the show she has been changed to be biracial in this world they created there's like uh fjerda which is like their version of norway and sweden slavic countries to the northwest but then they have shuhan which is like their analog to china and she is half um shu she's half asian and that's you know a lot of they had some half asian writers on the or um mixed race writers on the staff that were really connected to her as a character that way. There's some great inf- interviews with them up, especially with Christina Strain, who wrote one of my favorite movies on Netflix, Binding Ohana. Shout out to that. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting that they've made her um, po- made her part of a marginalized identity. So how mm-hmm. did you felt, feel like that worked on the show? I was excited because I'm a little bored with the standard cookie cutter white girl super pretty but has one big flaw but everyone overlooks it because but she is pretty and chosen we've got the chosen girl here but nobody seems to be realizing how awesome she is because racism yeah there's definitely like racism in this world like a lot of people assume she can't speak i guess ravkin Mm -hmm. and it's a very multicultural world but it's not like very evolved about it and so she is very much like ignored and marginalized because of her biracial identity. Um, they seem pretty sexually, like in terms of gender, pretty progressive. And like, mm-hmm. she's not really like treated too badly because she's a girl. Like there are men and women in the army. Everyone's right. pretty, um, there are Grisha, female and male there's still a lot of men doing shitty things to women because mm-hmm. that sort of seems to be a universal truth, but it's much more her race that gets her dismissed and looked over. And so when she is revealed to be the sun summoner, it's an even bigger deal that we have this biracial chosen one. Right. And I like how it's not just quickly swept under the rug. You're constantly having reminders that she's different, that she's other, even though she grew up here and identifies as Ravkin, you have attendants saying maybe you could make her eyes look less shoe. And I thought, did, did she? Did cut yeah. now? That's it. Like, that was a really big moment because, you, yeah, it was really interesting to see how she, the power dynamics of that, because she be, goes from being marginalized and just kind of cannon fodder in the second army or first army, she's a cartographer, to being like the saint this person who's going to save them all and Mm -hmm. she's left in a place like why would I want to save you guys like you roughly you've all been really shitty to me why would I want to save you and why would I want to be 
a Grisha and accept as an identity of further being marginalized and further being mm. othered. She's not really into it. And usually in like these books, I always, or books and movies where the chosen one is like, no, I don't want to be the chosen one where I get really annoyed because it's like, mm-hmm. no, you have magic powers. You're a superhero. Why are you whining about it? But with her, with the choices they've made with this character, it makes a lot more sense her reticence about accepting her mm-hmm. role because she's been treated so shittily. Right. She's already other. She doesn't need more otherness. Thank you very much. She has enough yeah. to deal with. Yeah. And I hope did- that I hope that we get to see more of her like shoe backstory because she grew up here in Ravka. We haven't got to meet a lot of shoe. But you get the sense that the intermarrying is not super common. No. And there are other um, biracial characters and other characters of color that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, her main of her main rivals, uh, Zoya, is actually um, part Suli, which is their mm-hmm. equivalent to India. And there's another Suli character named Inej, who's a main character mm-hmm. who is awesome. But there's like a, you know, you. I think Zoya kind of passes, and, mm-hmm. but there is a big, in the book she is revealed to be, to have Suli, and then there's a moment where somebody is looking at Inesh and they say, oh, she's Zemeni, which is their equivalent to African. He says, like, no, she's Suli, and they have this connection at the end. Um, and so there's all sorts of different um, explorations of identity here. And I like that it also kind of intersects with the way that magic use has both in this and in other media been used as like a really creative metaphor for marginalized identity. Mm -hmm. I think that that might be why you have so many pagans that don't fit into a lot of traditional molds because it's already other. So I think so many marginalized people are comfortable already taking on that mantle. We're already different. We might as well be more different. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, I'm gay. I might also just, you know, go frolic naked under the trees because why not? <laughs> and I, did, I realized how pagan I, that I was a witch before I realized I was a lesbian. But I definitely think that, like, being pagan helped me understand my, my identity, my sexual orientation, and made me more mm-hmm. comfortable because it's just like, okay, well, I'm already, you know... I already don't mm-hmm. shave my legs and worship dirt and I might as well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go full Monty. Let's just yeah. go ahead and embrace it all. Yeah, I have to eat meat or else I would just be the biggest <laughs> cliche mm-hmm. in the world. But so it's really, they don't, but this show does like a better job, I think, than like X-Men or other shows that use magic mm-hmm. as marginalization because they still have other marginalized identities like it's not just like oh we have somebody's a mutant instead of being gay it's like Mm -hmm. no they're magic and they're gay or they're magic Mm -hmm. and they're non-white it's really nice to see that like oh you it's intersectionality Mm -hmm. it gives them more common footing with people they might have been the only suli here but if they're also grisha then they're not alone even if there's no other suli grisha there there's at least other grisha they're not completely alone and they have characters who have been sex workers and characters mm-hmm. who are non-straight i think one of the interesting things is the way they kind of everyone seems to be okay with everyone being a kind of pansexual in this world mm-hmm. which i really enjoyed jesper like, oh let's talk about <laughs> Jess, jesper my <laughs> other boyfriend from the show is a jesper who is a the sharpshooter he is zemeni or half zemeni 
Mm-hmm. And he and he, Kaz and Inej are the crows. They are from Ketterdam, which is sort of like Amsterdam, but an island. <laughs> um, like could have worked a bit farther on that that name. <laughs> but they kind of are kind of tasked with like kidnapping Alina because she's worth so much money. And it kind of gets into this whole uh, civil war plot and all this. But these three characters are just, I love every one of them so much. They're my beloved children they're all just disasters um but jesper is so much fun he's like just so much fun i love me a flamboyant man and one who is good with animals get you a man who can love a goat yeah and yeah i love somebody referred so referred to milo the goat who ends up being very important in like the final episode as Chekhov's goat mm-hmm. um i as a capricorn again i really appreciated how important goats were to this series I like that there is violence in here. You are not going to be spared from necessarily children dying, people dying, animals dying, but it's not just wanton slaughter of every cute, fluffy thing that happens across the yeah. screen. So Milo is safe. Yeah, Take Milo, comfort in that. I was so excited that I'm like, Milo, don't know. They're going to kill this cute goat. And then he's Milo saves the day in the end. But Jesper's is one of those, like, he's sort of like a Jack Harkness sort of character who's yes. pansexual, just kind of a bit of a disaster, but really good at what he does, really fun. He's just, again, him and Ben Barnes' character, like, oh, yes, I know you're creating a trope and a type of these <laughs> characters, but you did a really good job, so I'll allow it. <laughs> I do like reasonable flaws. I like that you can trust Jesper with your life not your money yeah he's great and um there's an interesting moment uh in i think later episodes where he has an encounter with a grisha and he sort of this grisha sort of looks at him like what are you and i think it's implied that maybe he might have some latent grisha powers somehow i think that'd be really interesting to see if you know he is an untrained Grisha that would be really interesting right because if you're like me I haven't read the books so Mm -hmm. I don't know how many types of magic users there are Mm -hmm. it's interesting that you don't have one jack of all trades who can do all of the spells ever who are super powerful everyone has a niche that they fit into Mm -hmm. and I'm really wondering where Jesper fits because Jesper as far as I know hasn't been tested but likes to steer clear of Grisha yeah and it's interesting they have the way they talk about magic here they don't call it magic they call it the small science Mm -hmm. which is interesting it kind of reminds me of how of alchemy and a lot more like esoteric magical practices where it's much more about like the ritual and the specific actions and words and that's awesome for like people who want to you know do that I think that that's a really cool path and people who are more into you know Thelema or Golden Dawn and ceremonial magic but yeah it's really interesting the way that magic is sort of seen as not magic it's just like oh it's just something we can do we can just control fire because of science and it's almost like I'm an astrophysicist but with my mind exactly and you know the idea, you know, from one of my other favorite movies, Thor, where like science, magic is just science we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the intersection of magic and science, which we don't really talk about very much in like the pagan community because none of us are, not a lot of us are scientists, but there are some pagan scientists out there. Right. 
I would say like I enjoy reading Lupa's works. Lupa is not all about the, as she might put it, mumbo jumbo, but is very into the hard science of how nature works and respecting mm-hmm. nature and learning about why does a plant do this? How does it grow like this? What about this animal? Less about I'm going to do things with my mind, but I, I like both, both sides yeah. of the coin. And when you get into things like quantum physics, which, you know, I've taken a few like quantum physics for dummies classes in college, the the deeper you get down into like subatomic and quantum stuff, the less it makes any sense and it gets mm-hmm. closer to magic. Like the whole point of Schrodinger's cat is that like quantum particles behave differently depending on how you are trying to observe them. So basically like your mind and the observer affects quantum particles. They're finding this also with like this new particle called like a muon. Like they just said, these forces are acting on this particle. We don't understand. It's just doing Mm. things. And so basically it's like, okay, if our perception and our observation can affect quantum particles, how is that any different from magic and manifestation? (laughs) Right. I, I like to think of it as magic and science are trying to describe the world in two different ways. One is trying to describe the world in terms of poetry, and one is trying to describe the world in terms of math. And yeah, they're both exactly. right. It's just various levels of woo. Yeah. One is music, one is the lyrics. And mm-hmm. you can decide which one is which. Right. Like, I, I really liked the bit of science I learned recently about the trees. Like, you've had pagans saying for forever, trees are alive and trees are supporting one another and talking to one another. And then we learn about like fungus pathways and connections and how a tree that has like broken and is damaged in the woods is supported by all the other trees around it, giving it nutrients. Yeah. Like the largest communication network of organism or organisms is like a fungus in Oregon that's called the humongous fungus. (laughs) And it's like the size of a city and it's like, yes, mushrooms talk to each other. And there's just so much we don't understand. There's there's more that we don't understand than what we do understand. Mushrooms, crows, and we're not going to find a Rosetta Stone for any of it. And it drives yeah. me wild. I know. I'm sure the crows probably talk to the mushrooms. That sounds like something that crows would do. Crows know much more than we do. Yes. But, yeah. But, but that's what I like about this um world that they've created is like magic and science and technological innovation and shadow and bone all kind of go together and just because they have Mm -hmm. magic doesn't mean they don't have other technologies and there are some grisha who are like um fabricators or materialki they are the ones who like actually their power is like over like cloth or they can create inventions and that's their magic is they can manipulate matter. And I think that's a really cool power that you really don't see a lot in these standard fantasy worlds. I like the bonesmith personally and the story behind that. I love the idea that this crazy mage took his finger bones and made sacred animals from them. Cause you only ever hear about stuff like that in horror podcasts, like the Magnus archives or something. But this seems much more pretty and elegant and woo, but they're amplifiers at the heart of it, which is just another form, it seems, of magical technology, but one that goes poo in the woods. Yeah, and when you think about, like, our own, like, magical practices as modern pagans, like, what else is, like, a crystal or a bunch of plants that we're using in the spell but an amplifier of our own power like they're mm-hmm. physical manifestations you know as above so below but they are physical manifestations that will help amplify and so that's a useful way to think about 
our actual magical practices. Mm-hmm. It's no different than using a drawing tablet. You're an artist without it, but it sure does help. Yeah, it's it's hard to be a piano player without a piano. Yeah, though I'm a, <laughs> sure you know, I was a music major and I'm an opera singer, so I've already. You know, oh wow, that's fantastic! <laughs> but it's not. It's, you know, sometimes it's easier to be heard with a mic. Yes. Uh, tried doing drama could not project (laughs) i know yeah just like um i'm sure you know and you can be heard you know in an opera house without Mm -hmm. amplification like that's what they were built for but it's you will have a longer career and be able to do your job better if you have some amplification yes it's nice and i I like that magic in this world seems to work along the same way as talent it doesn't necessarily pop up if your mother was a gracia you're going to be a gracia it, it sure helped with the black heretic, but nobody else seems to be worried about, well, I wonder if my mother was a Grisha or if I'm going to have Grisha children. It's just something that happens sporadically. And maybe that's why they can't wipe it out in their world, even though they're afraid of it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And the fact that like, it's been around and it's been like, they use the word witch a lot in mm-hmm. this uh, world. And there are witch hunters who are frightened of Grisha they're from different countries but mm-hmm. you you can't get rid of just because magic is not you know there are people who do have ancestral traditions and family mm-hmm. magic but magic is an innate power in all of us and so you can't like wipe out witches because becoming a witch is a choice becoming a witch mm-hmm. is something that is just who you are and it's not you, you can't wipe out all witches by guilt killing one generation <laughs> Which really makes me wonder what the magic underground must look like among the witch hunters in their lands or among the shoe. Yeah, I'd love to see, like, as this world expands, I want to see what the magic is like in all these other countries, if they have different kinds of magic, if mm-hmm. they have different relationships to Grisha. Because, like, Rav, just Rod, Ravka and Fierda have very different relationships to right. Grisha. and. They don't really go much into like how religion works in this mm-hmm. world, but they do have a, a religion. It's not based on gods. It's based on saints. Mm-hmm. And they think of Alina as a God, as a saint and our people are praying to her. And so it is like the way that magic and what she's able to do is related to people's spirituality. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, what is the difference then between a saint and a Grisha? Is a saint just a very powerful Grisha who happened to be useful to those people at that time? Because you get the sense that, I mean, like, they might have burned Jesus at the stake, depending on when Jesus popped up. Yeah. How does it work for saints here? What's the difference between Alina is useful versus Alina is a threat? Just like the Black Heretic was useful at one point until he wasn't. Yeah. Speaking of, like, Tumblr that reminds me of like one of my favorite Tumblr posts, you know, somebody saying, you know, well, how come when I, you know, you know, multiply wine and bread, I'm a witch, (laughs) but when Jesus does it, he's like the Messiah. How come, you know, why didn't he get burned at the stake and hunted down? And then like the reply is like, you know, you're right, but Jesus very much did get hunted down and killed. (laughs) all about how many followers you have yeah it's like how many subscribers do you have yeah it's like um but but yeah it's really interesting how the black heretic is sort of um the darkling is demonized like and he's literally treated like a demon also it's really interesting that the grisha because of their use of magic and their power over matter and like life they live longer it seems 
Right. At least if you let them live longer. It yeah. seems like that'd be hard to do in Ravka, where if you are Grisha, you're automatically enlisted in the military, like it or not. Yeah. Unless you have a rich person, useful magic, like making the queen's breast not sag. Yeah. Or... Yeah. She's got a very specific, the tailor, she's a really interesting character. And, but then, you know, she is, you know, subjugated in another way. Like, okay, she doesn't have to go fight, but she has to get like sexually harassed by the king all the time and so she's not interested in staying there and i think that's that's another thing i grew to really love about this series uh a lot of times i think you have people having trouble with how do i mesh magic with technology it either acts as if magic just all of a sudden popped up but technology just proceeded as normal or everything is magic run rampant but here you have magic but you see the quote-unquote useful magics that aren't straight offensive getting gobbled up by rich people you have all these people who are healers who could be out there fixing brain tumors or saving the dying but they're employed by rich people to keep them looking pretty or to serve on the battlefield patching up very important people. They certainly didn't use a healer on Mal when he got shot in the arm. They just yeah. let him go on about his way. Yeah, and it, again, it serves as a really interesting metaphor for marginalization because, yeah, these people have magic and they get to live in a kind of nice palace, but they're also cannon fodder. Mm-hmm. And they're like automatically forced into the army where they will die. And they're mm-hmm. also still like feared and they're a resource that is hoarded by the upper classes. And it's very, you know, it's very good that this is a they use imperial Russia here because Russia did so good with the how they treated their lower classes. Right. It's like you're either cannon father or mm. as as I think Genya put it, you're a Grisha without a color. You're not yeah. part of the military ranking system, so you're nobody and you don't really have a say in Grisha matters because you're not putting your life on the line. Yeah. And also there are some Grisha that are the, the heart renders. And I think uh-huh. that's really interesting because it's they can affect people's bodies, not like a healing way, but they can like make people feel things or make their hearts race or change mm-hmm. their emotions. And when you think about it, like that is terrifying. Like the heart render that works for the Darkling is one of like the scariest mm-hmm. characters because he can literally stop your heart. And, you know, it is like, that's a good reason for somebody to be afraid of someone if they can stop your yes. heart. But you see it juxtaposed against like Nina using her yeah. magic to calm people down mm-hmm. or to keep their hearts going when they're in a dangerous situation. And it's almost like how dangerous a psychiatrist could be, I guess, if you equate it with magical powers, like I'm having a panic attack here, I'm going to help you with that. I'm having a panic attack. Cool. I'm going to amp you up. So you go kill people. Yeah. Or so I you kill that's yourself. The, that's the entire plot of Hannibal, I think, is like- yeah. <laughs> If you, it's a psychiatrist he's like i'm gonna weaponize this and also eat people um but oh i haven't watched hannibal in a while again not really a show i can have an episode <laughs> on on here but i have thoughts about hannibal if he wants to tweet about me with me i have tweets about the modern interpretation of hannibal oh yeah mads mickelson very yeah he's kind of magical too another one of uh, Hannibal another one of Tumblr's very problematic boyfriends yes you know <laughs> that's the I thing is him. like these problematic characters like the Darkling is like an asshole and so is like <laughs> Kylo Ren and you know people see you know these posts on Tumblr about like oh well Hannibal is really like emotionally abusive to Will Graham it's like yeah he also eats people like no <laughs> one is like <laughs> point is like 
of maintaining that this is a good person. They're just an interesting character. Have the same problem with Buffy. Okay, but Spike's really pretty. Yes, but you're a happy meal with legs to him. So there's yeah. that. Oh, yeah, Spike. That's another one of my favorite, like, garbage men. You know, he's in the same, <laughs> you know, and he was eventually sort of redeemed. Um, And, you know, for, fortunately, it turns out Joss Whedon's just a garbage man. Sigh. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like Loki and Spike and the Phantom, like, oh, I'm just... I'm one of can't those even Tumblr look, girls. Yeah, can't even look yeah. at my Tumblr right now. I think the last thing I was really going on and slipping right back into was mm-hmm. Nawada from Hellboy 2. It's like, but he wants to kill everyone. Okay, but hear him out because he's but, pretty, okay? But he's so sad. <laughs> he makes such good... He's, he's, I could change mm-hmm. him with my love if he didn't mm-hmm. kill me first. I, but like, that's the thing I like about these problematic characters. And I think it's really hard nowadays as we're recognizing that they are problematic and toxic Mm. and awful it's like we do as an audience learn empathy for them and that's like an important thing as a human being is to have empathy Mm. for like even shitty problematic guys who even if they don't look like ben barnes because it's certainly easier to have empathy for ben barnes even Um, the evil george costanzas of the world deserve some love i think it's everybody can be saved but you can't save everyone yeah it's like it's up to them to save themselves Mm -hmm. And but you still have to recognize that these are people who have, even if they're bad reasons, there are reasons, and that's what creates mm-hmm. a good character is when you can see like when they're doing something awful, but you're like, okay, well, I'd see why, you know, mm-hmm. that that's how art works is you have to like understand people, and so that's right. why I think the Darkling is such a great character, and it's like he fits into that trope of like, well, he's got a point, he's got a cool cape. Mm-hmm. And but but he goes the wrong direction. I also have a lot of love for Brecker for the same reason. He mm. is the angriest, cutest little gangster that you've ever seen. Oh yeah, and he he loves his woman so much. But if we looked from a different point in the story, he's no different than Pekka. He yeah. has the opportunity to buy other girls out of sexual slavery, but he doesn't. Yeah, he steals from people. He hurts other people. He is a hero in this context, albeit a reluctant hero, but it really depends on which side of the story you're looking from. Yeah, that's why like Inej is such an interesting character because she begins the story like not mm-hmm. wanting to kill. She's this amazing fighter and wraith and she's just, she's not even magic. She's just really good at what she does. Mm-hmm. And she kills someone. She begins, she takes life to save Kaz, which is on one side, oh, it's romantic, but on another that's like, it's her moral downfall right and so and if you're the you know the wife of the guy she killed like there's a really good reason to be mad and go after Inej and so it's really interesting and complicated and I like complicated characters it's especially interesting because the second time she kills she does it much easier than she did the first time Mm -hmm. and given her occupation how much easier will it get for her especially if she starts killing for her faith which yeah. was pointed out to Alina could topple kingdoms and is much more dangerous. Yeah. So I'm really interested in to see like where these characters go in a further season. My beautiful wife, like we finished watching the first season. We're like, okay, we need to read the books. We have to find yes. out what happens next. Um, and I'm interested to see like where things go with Alina now that, 
She thinks that the Darkling's dead. Of course he's not dead, Alina. Have you never seen him? I guess you haven't seen the movie, but have you read a book? Of course you didn't kill him the first time. Like he's going to come out, he's going to be pissed off. Mm-hmm. Um, never believe that they're dead until the head is separated from the body. Yeah, like you need to see a body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to see like Nina kind of join up with the crows will be really interesting. What do you think also, you know, we were talking about like, these stories about like empathy and compassion for like shitty guys. Like the storyline with Nina is like, she's a Grisha who falls in love with like a Grisha hunter. Like that's sort of, you know, very Romeo and Juliet. I, I want to say that empathy is probably what stops us from becoming the thing that we're fighting against. It's what keeps us in check and stops us from going too far. And I think maybe that might be the point where here again, where the black heretic screwed up. I think he started to lose a lot of his empathy. He, I don't think sees himself as a bad person. I think he sees his things as justified and depending on which part of the story you're looking at it from, you could argue that he is, he's making big sacrifices, but for a big good thing. But when he loses empathy for the people around him, when he puts Genya in a position where she's being sexually assaulted frequently by the king, where he wipes out a city where his own people have family members in it just to prove a point, he's lost his empathy for the people he says that he is protecting. And so I don't think that he is seeing people as people anymore. He is seeing things in the abstract and abstract Mm -hmm. doesn't leave a lot of room for empathy. Yeah. And I think that's why the big contrast for Alina is that she still has empathy for everyone and she has Mm -hmm. empathy, not just for Grisha, but she grew up, you know, I guess not mortal is not the right word, but normal. And she, Mm -hmm. her main emotional connection is to Mal. We haven't talked about much because there's this whole, love triangle with mm-hmm. Mal and Alina and the Darkling. What I think, and I, my solution to all love triangles is just polyamory. Like, come on, guys. Yes. just And thus anime was solved forever. Yeah, it's like, threesomes are a thing. Come on. I will watch we that. all just screw each other. That's... Yeah. It's like, um, everyone should make out with Ben Barnes. That's yes. Everyone. Mal and him could have had a real bonding moment. Yeah. Jesper like... and him bonded. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone should make out with everyone. Just beautiful people but it'll be interesting to see where it goes um I can't like I want to read the books and find out but I hope but also they've changed a lot in the books um for the show and like like I said the crows aren't even part of the books Mm -hmm. and I think that their addition is really fun like they're the most fun part of the show well now as a 35 year old middle-aged woman because let's be honest that's that's middle-aged oh no if we live to be maybe like 60 70 years old we can say we're going to live to be a hundred, but we can't yeah. all be black heretics. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so at this point, I actually enjoy it now when you have a, uh, a fairly significant departure between the books and the movies, because it just means that I can go and read the books now. And yeah. it's almost like reading fanfic. Yeah. I can enjoy a, what if, what if the story took this direction instead, mm-hmm. you know, or like if if a show screws you over, like Game of Thrones, you can go, well, that's all right. I've got fanfic to fix it. Yeah, and, and George R. R. Martin's never finishing that series. So we're just... In 20 just... years, when Brandon Sanderson finishes it for him, we'll all have a good laugh about how riled up we got. Yeah. One of the things we didn't talk about is like the actual kind of elemental magic they use. They have like, yes. and it's interesting to me, like they have like a lot of these shows like you know the one that always gets brought up is uh avatar the last airbender which i have not watched much of but like it's it's very funny to me that like this 
show created by white people drawing on Asian cultures and Inuit and other cultures, they, it's like, right, we're going to do this, all these like different Asian and Pacific Islander and Inuit cultures, um, but we're going to use the Western elemental, mm-hmm. uh, the earth, the, five, the four elements where in Asia, you know, they use five elements. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, that's interesting choice you've made there. Um, but that's why, that's how cultural appropriation works. Um, but here it's interesting that they didn't do four elements like they have there are fire grishas um mm-hmm. inferni there are squallers that are like use mm-hmm. wind and there are storm something storm breakers i don't know but there mm-hmm. uh but so it's interesting they didn't have like a grisha who can manipulate like rocks but then again mm-hmm. they do have a grisha who can manipulate matter so i guess it's kind of like their earth and metal grishas I almost wonder if some of them didn't die out at some point. Like maybe they had many more types of magic users, but maybe there wasn't a need for them as much because it seems like a lot of becoming a Grisha is being stimulated by need. They talked Mm -hmm. about how when they were undergoing training, they would get like a beehive thrown at them and it would stimulate their magic to start working. Uh, Maybe the things that would have triggered other types of magic just didn't pop up here, but maybe they pop up in other places like among the shoe. Maybe there's different types of magic among the witch hunters over in fantasy Scandinavia. Yeah. I'm I'm sure Elsa's over there somewhere and like controlling the snow. She's everywhere. If she's connected to Tarzan, she's everywhere. (laughs) I've just accepted this part of our culture. Oh yeah, there's like this theory that like Tarzan's parents were somehow related to Elsa. I love that. Then mm-hmm. you know, the, the I love the the all Pixar movies are cre- are connected theory, which is great. It's I'm like, ready for Tarzan four, the new Airbender, where we just learned that Tarzan can manipulate tree trunks, and that's how he could slide amongst all the trees. They just grew yeah. for him. I have mi- I have not rewatched Tarzan in a long long time like my little one is you know going through all the disney canon she's like oh is that movie mm-hmm. good mom i'm like nah. Mm, nah. <laughs> nah problematic she likes the music from hercules but like i haven't actually like shown her hercules i'm like it's an inaccurate portrayal of hades he's actually the least problematic <laughs> deity <laughs> maybe don't want to show my kids sleeping beauty where the the man chick spends most of her time on her back and one but- day a man shows up and puts himself on her <laughs> Oh, like the protagonist, you know, and we have, I had an episode of this, but the protagonist of Sleeping Beauty is not Sleeping Beauty. It's the fairies. They're the heroes That's true. of the movie. Like it's their movie. It just happens or, to be called Sleeping or Beauty. Or arguably the protagonist is Maleficent. Oh yeah. them for decency and polite manners and inviting yeah. people to social events. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Good man, you know, and who's cooler that she can turn into a dragon. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, there need there are no dragons in Shadow and Bone, but there are like the Volcra, which are you know dragony, but they do terrifying. Yeah, I thought one of the, you know before we close off, you know this series is great. I loved it. I love the production of this series. Mm-hmm. Beautifully made, beautifully shot, wonderful like diverse cast and poly, mm-hmm. you know poly. Oh, sorry, pansexual. Everyone is kissing everyone and needs to kiss everyone else. Yes, so, whoever is putting it on Netflix and responsible for the writing to move it is doing a great job with pacing because was not bored once. And I felt everything happened as it should. Nothing was ridiculous. It all made sense. 
Yeah. And like, I think episode five where there's like the big turn for Kierigan is like mm-hmm. really good. And you know, you're, you're so excited. Like, Oh yeah. Him and Alina are finally making out. You, you go at it on that map table. And then like, Oh, oh of course. Later on, she gets the most painful necklace in the world that just, Oh, oh full body yeah. shivers. Every time I saw it poking from her skin. Oh yeah. Just the, a- the rape of it. The Yeah. Yeah. There's so much in this series. We could talk about it for a long time, but. I loved, you know, discussing it with you. So where can people find you and your work online well, if they're looking for your work online? Um, you can definitely find me over at Evoke. I have also started uh, being an editor over at Muddy Paw, which is a new lit journal that's just going up. Ooh. Uh, you can also find me over at Neos Alexandria Biblioteca Alexandrina, where I serve on the board of directors for a nonprofit pagan publishing house where we donate all of our profits short of keeping the lights on to uh, various uh, worthy causes that people can just vote on. So lately we've been donating a lot uh, to Native American reservations that didn't get any assistance during the pandemic. Well, that is awesome. And you're on Twitter at Justice Witch? Yes. And I'll provide you with a link tree for me. Oh, yes, I'll put that in the show notes. Because thank you so that's much. What I'm trying to I'm trying to get better, <laughs> listeners. I really am. But thank you so much. It's been such a cool discussion. Do you have any final thoughts on Shadow and Bone? What you're hoping to see in season two? And I can't believe. Hopefully, by the time this gets up, they'll have renewed it for season two. I like can't see why they wouldn't. It's like the number one show across all platforms right now. if they don't i'm counting on all of you to send me the best fanfic because it can't end here or they or the books i mean you know you, you you can find out how it ends those are on order yeah, yeah. those oh, are yeah. as soon as i was done that was yeah. that was the first thing i did i have to wait till my for my wife to finish them but yeah she's got she's on book two she hasn't spoiled me yet but yeah what do you hopefully to see in book book in uh, season two when it comes out which i'm sure it will I want to see more forms of magic and I want to see Nina and Matthias doing more cheesy romance things like that Titanic throwaway that they did. Oh yeah. My heart. It's probably the less impressive magical spectacle out of the whole show, but it feeds my outlander hungryness that just wants mm-hmm. to see big hunky guy and sassy chick get together and just cause trouble. I love that like that whole Nina and Matthias thing it was just like it was fanfic trope after fans like oh there's only yes. one bed and they're cold like I, yes. have, I have written that fanfic um, but shout out to Kushil's darts and yeah, <laughs> Jacqueline like, Carey's wonderful use of it yeah oh there's only, there was only one bed that's, that's a great way to leave it so thank you so much and we'll hopefully have you back on to talk about season two or some other stuff going forward yes, please thank you so much it was so nice to be here you have a lovely night thank you thank you for joining me for another episode of the real magic podcast as always if you enjoy the show please rate us review subscribe and support the show by telling people that you like it and tweeting about it you can follow us on twitter at real magic pod or find me on twitter at fangirling jess and look for my work all over the web i promise you it's pretty easy to find if you google jessica basin and any topic that you want to hear me write about 
Uh, if you have questions for the show, suggestions, or even want to come on, you can email us at realmagicpod at gmail.com. Now, we'll be back in two weeks with another bewitching episode. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay magical, and remember, no one can wear a cape like Ben Barnes can wear a cape. Goodbye, 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 goodbye